My friends, today is the day. The moment is now. The change begins. Why? Because you are here on the 18 Summers Live Your Passion podcast where we encourage you to live your passion. You get one chance, one shot at this life. And you can either be the person that says, I wish I had, or you can be the person that says, I am so glad I did. So join us as we dive in, we figure it out, we walk this walk together so that we can live our passion. Welcome to the 18 Summers Live Your Passion podcast. My name is Hal Califf and I'm your host. And today we are talking with Nancy Marshall, the PR maven. Uh, Nancy specializes in all things uh, connected uh, with with PR, writing, blogging, networking, and media relations, uh, branding for celebrities, authors, experts, and executives. Um, She is a REACH certified personal branding strategist and social branding analyst. Uh, Her education is she's got a Bachelor of Arts with a double major in French and American Studies, a Master's of Business Administration from Thomas College. And 26 years ago, Nancy founded Marshall Communications. That agency has represented uh, a lot of major clients, including the main office of tourism, the main office of business development and the Orvis Company, among others. She, in her work, has become a licensed whitewater rafting guide. She's lived the life of a crew member on the Victory Chimes. And for Orvis, she's learning to fly fish and tie flies. Nancy's also the host of the PR Maven podcast. It's a podcast about public relations and building your personal brand that features interviews with industry leaders, top executives, media personalities, and online influencers excuse me, online influencers about PR and their personal brand. Nancy, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Hal. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to meet you too. Well, and, and I'm, I'm excited to do this because you, um, in in getting connected with you through uh, Greg Glenn, um, we've, we've actually been able to, this is how we got connected with the interview with Staff Sergeant Travis Mills. Uh, and then reading your bio, uh, I I can understand now why uh, Travis Mills and the Travis Mills Foundation works uh, with you and Marshall Communications. And I, I want to know right off the bat, um, because I've been in a lot of different, I've had my hands in a lot of different pots. I've been involved in a lot of different work for the last 20 plus years, but um what got you interested in public relations? What was it that that pulled you into this field? Well, you know, I'm the only daughter of, uh, I have two older brothers, and uh, my dad was an electrical engineer who did sales work for Westinghouse Electric Corporation. And uh, growing up, you know, he was always dealing with his customers and, um, you know, talking fondly about his customers at dinner at uh, at the dinner table. And, you know, I was always very interested in what he was doing and his business. Um, so when I was 17, he uh, offered me the opportunity to attend uh, a grand opening for a paper machine, actually, that he had sold all the electrical equipment for. And I was able to go and cover it as if I was a publicist or a journalist, actually. I took photos and interviewed people, and I wrote an article that got published in the Westinghouse Electric Corporate Magazine. And um, at that moment, I just felt just this thrill of uh, being involved with a company and helping tell the story and being able to interview people and have that back and forth. Um, so my dad actually kind of had the feeling that PR was the thing for me uh, because I'm the youngest of three. And I was definitely from, you know, the moment I was born and I was the most extroverted of, of the whole family. And I think um, my dad kind of, you know, saw me grow up and saw that I had these skills in meeting people and never being afraid to talk to anybody or ask anybody anything. Um, And so subsequently, he arranged for me to go spend a whole week at the headquarters of Westinghouse Electric in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So this is when I was 17. I um, job shadowed for a whole week and I actually stayed at the home of the head of PR. And uh, 
I just had such a great time. I loved it. So like from then on, I, I knew that I wanted to go into this profession because it felt just like it was made for me. Wow. So, all right, then, then, then that, I guess, begs the question, like, if you can go into the industry, there's a difference between going to work for a PR company for, for an agency and starting your own. And here, 26 years ago, you started your own. What, what pushed you into the uh, self-employed entrepreneur's world of communication? Well, I, any boss that I had, I drove them crazy because <laughs> I would come into work. You know, there's an expression on the coast of Maine, uh, if you're notional, and, and that's said a little bit with a Maine accent, you know, you're notional. And that means you've got a lot of notions in your head. <laughs> so, <laughs> so every day I'd come into work and I'd like share my notions, like, I think we should do this and I think we should do this. And so like, my bosses would be like, could you just put your head down and do your job? You know, it's like, oh. but no, I'd, I'd be doing my job and I'd be thinking of other things. So finally, when I was, I was 31 years old and uh, my boss at the time, who was very fond of me and thought I was really talented, but he came to me and said, you know, Nancy, you really are cut out to be your own boss. <laughs> and um, I knew I kind of had the entrepreneurial spirit because, again, as a, as a kid, I used to sell things door to door in my neighborhood. I would sell seeds or stationery or I just looked for an opportunity to go out and do business. You know, I just loved the idea of business. I sold lemonade and anything I could oh, wrap. If I went to the my I would go to fundraisers with my parents and I don't I was always the top raffle ticket salesperson so I definitely kind of have uh, I, I have the DNA of an entrepreneur and um, so finally luckily you know when I was 31 I was kind of given the opportunity to get a contract with my employer to be you know to be a subcontractor and uh, that's the best thing that could have ever happened. I've, I've been so happy having my own business ever since then. Wow. Well, and that's interesting that you, you came from a background where, where your bosses were saying that because I've worked for a lot of companies where it was usually the opposite. You know, most, uh, most the, the business owners and bosses that I knew uh, early on, they were not encouraging of people to go out. They wanted to keep, you know, talent in, um, but I've always thought one of the, one of the aspects of a good leader is, is someone who's willing to say, you know what, I see where your growth potential is and it would be better suited outside and, and in a positive way, you know, not just like, well, I'd rather you not be here, but you would, you would right. blossom on your own. And, and then to be able to get connected with a contract to get, to get started is great. Wow. Well, you see, I worked in the ski business for many years. I was the PR person for a ski resort in Maine called Sugarloaf. And, you know, it, when April comes around at, in the ski business, they always have to cut payroll, you know. So even though I definitely had a year-round position, um, you know, every April they'd be looking at who they can cut <laughs> and lay off for the summer. So that's ultimately why um, Sugarloaf recommended that I start my own business because they definitely wanted to keep my contacts. I did have a lot of relationships with people in the media, um, you know, people from the Weather Channel and people from the Wall Street Journal and USA Today and all the major skiing magazines. So they didn't want to lose those contacts, but um, Basically, they didn't really want to have to pay my salary when things were slow. So it, it all worked out fine um, in the long run. Nice. So you you are are you from Maine originally? I know you've got some strong ties to the state of Maine, um, and you you work very closely. I, I mean, I see that you know the, the Maine Office of Tourism, and that. So, what is your connection to Maine? Were you born and raised in Maine? No, I wish I could say I, I wish I could say that I was because Maine people uh, are more uh, accepting and welcoming to people who were actually born in Maine. And if I had any control over it, I would have been born in Maine. 
but um, my parents didn't ask me. (laughs) I was born in New Haven, Connecticut. Um, And, but my family had a cottage on a lake in Maine, which actually uh, is going, is my cottage now. So um, I grew up spending summers on this lake and I had a summer job. I waitressed um, at a a restaurant that was at the other end of this lake. And I had to wear a long dress when I went to work. So I would get in my motorboat and, uh, you know, drive in this long dress to my job as a waitress. And I just thought that was so cool. And my parents, they were not helicopter parents at all. I mean, back in those days, parents didn't like hover over their kids the way they do now. So I, I can't believe my parents like let me drive home in this motorboat you know, I was driving probably like 10 miles on this lake at sometimes 11 p.m. midnight <laughs> wearing my long dress. And, wow. Hey, life was good. Life was really good. <laughs> it, it was. Well, and it was, you know, it, it, it's funny that you mentioned that about the, the helicopter parents. And it really has changed dramatically, especially in the last 10. I would say the last, I mean, as a parent who has. I have two stepchildren who are now in their early 20s, and then we have children at home still that are my youngest ones are about to turn five next week. So we've kind of been through a good 20-year span of raising kids. And I guess you have. Yeah, it's been interesting. Um, and uh, it's funny because it, we've, we've seen that. Like, we're pretty loose when it comes to parenting. It's like, all right, go do your thing. You know right from wrong. Uh, do right. Don't let me catch you doing wrong. And... Um, but we we see that a lot with with parents. So yeah, no, that's that's that is awesome that you got that experience. And I think that's something that helps to create independence too. And I think that probably helped to foster your entrepreneurial spirit if you had to be responsible for getting to and from. And and I mean that's that is a long boat ride. Ten miles across the lake is, you, know, you think ten miles in a car, it's not that bad. But on a boat on a lake in the middle of the night in the dark. <laughs> yeah, but that's... I'm a really good swimmer, so I think my parents always figured, well, if the boat broke down and I had to like <laughs> jump in and pull the boat to the side, I probably could have done that too. <laughs> and you know, you you mentioned independence. Um, that independence is kind of like my middle name. And again, that made me a challenge. You know, I was a challenge for my parents even because. Um, Again, I, I, I'm pretty strong-willed and had a lot of <laughs> notions in my head. So, um, again, luckily, um, my parents were able to kind of harness that and, and point it in the right direction. My mom um, would always bring me to, you know, if, if I was interested in doing horseback riding lessons, she would bring me to that. Or if I was in the 4-H club or church choir, whatever activity, swim team, she would always be bringing me from one thing to another because she just wanted to harness my energy and keep me out of trouble. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm really grateful. You know, I, I probably should my father's gone now, but I should probably tell my mom that I really appreciate she carted me around all the time. That's awesome. You, you know, it would be I, I my father has also passed away. So it's one of those things where you kind of go, man, if I could say those things now. Um, but I, you know, what I call I my know. mom. I try to call my mom nearly every day, usually at least a couple times a week to talk to her just because of that very thing that, you know, she helped spark a lot of that. And me and, and my father did as well. Um, so. That is yeah, that's exactly. awesome. I get that opportunity. So, well, hopefully our dads our our dads are looking down on us right now, and uh, I just hope that they know because um, I mean, obviously your dad did a great job with you too. So well, hopefully they know somehow. Well, I, I I hope so. I like to think so. I um I like to think so. He's my father passed away when I was only seventeen, so I always felt like I got uh, I got gypped out of uh, being able to to kind of show him what my life would be. Um, and I'm the youngest of four boys, so I always felt like my other brothers had some kind of an accomplishment in front of them, and I didn't feel that way. But, you know, it's funny as you get uh, older and your kids start to grow up, you start to realize that you can see where they're going before they get there. Oh, and, definitely, uh, yeah. You know, that's well, your mom had her work cut out for her, too, then, having four boys once your father was gone. Yeah, and that was, um, in, in me being the youngest, it was interesting, cause my, my oldest brother's 10 years older than me, and then we have, uh, I have one that's two years older than me and one that's three years older than me. So my uh, two of my brothers were out of the house. One was had been out for years, and the other one was, was off in the Navy. And then um, my my brother right above me and I were at home, and... And we had my father was self-employed. He was a uh, mechanical engineer, and he owned a machine shop. And so it was a, it was quite the trial for a couple of years. Uh, as my brother and my mom 
uh, struggled to keep that business afloat. And I went to work full time and, you know, I dropped out of school, and went to work full time. And I, I liked to think when I was younger that I was like, well, I had to because it's what my family needed. But honestly, now looking back, I realized I was just I hated school and I wanted out and I used <laughs> it as an excuse. And I went, oh, OK, you know, I can I can leave now. But, you know, it, it is one of those things that, you know, uh, parents that have to do that. It is it is a trial. But I think, again, that I think also led to where, you know, I am now with my with my children. It gives me a much better perspective, I think. So, you know, than, than oh yes, I, I definitely think it's good as a parent to, to try to understand where where each of your kids are in their lives, and uh, you know, having having been a kid, it's a good thing we were once a kid, <laughs> yes. so we know what it's like. <laughs> I've met a few people who forget that they were kids, but yes, <laughs> I know. Yeah, me too. I've met I've met those people also. <laughs> uh, so let's let's talk about uh, PR work because I'm in. So I own a printing brokerage. That's what I do as my my main staple of income as we travel is I'm a digital nomad. I own a printing brokerage. We do graphic design, um, print marketing work, and uh, and then we facilitate print in forms all the way from business cards up to billboards. We've done, you know, 40-foot banners. Um, we do apparel, things like that. And I know the importance of the physical appearance of marketing, um, but I've never been great on the... Uh, on a lot of the text side of marketing, the the, the relationship side of marketing, um, and and you you seem to dive like head first in with your clients. I was reading about um, well, even in the intro, we were talking about you know you became a uh, a licensed whitewater rafting uh, guide. Um, you you tend to dive in with your customers, no pun intended, but to, yeah, to really get a grasp of what they do so you can understand them better. Tell us, tell us about, you know, your approach to, to working with, with individual clients and, and businesses. Well, Chris, when I worked at Sugarloaf, um, you know, starting at age 24, I was the PR representative for this ski resort. And I always felt it was really important that I was a skier myself and I would try to dress like a skier and look like a skier um, and then actually, you know, take media people out skiing because that was what I was representing. And I feel like you have to walk the walk and talk the talk. So uh, that was what I did until I started my own business. And then one of my first clients was a whitewater rafting company, as you mentioned, and um yeah, I had my first child, I think I was at age 32, and I had just gotten this uh, rafting company, and I think I had had a few adult beverages one <laughs> night with the owners of this rafting company. I think it was in the month of January, and I was saying, yeah, next spring, as soon as the, raft, as soon as the river starts running, I'm going to become a rafting guide, and I was like, I just declared it really loudly, and uh, I couldn't, I couldn't go back on my words. So, <laughs> sure enough, like I had a, a pretty new baby, my my son Craig, who's now 26, but um, yeah, it got to be May, and the the ice went out on the river, and and um, yeah, the owners of Northern Outdoors are like, okay, Nancy, it's time for guide training week, and and you said you were gonna do it. So I was like, oh boy, I had to get a, a wetsuit because, you know, the water is ice cold. And of course, you know, one day you actually have to intentionally flip all the rafts into class five white water, which is just like boiling, you know, well, not boiling hot, right, boiling right, right. cold water. But you know what? Um, I was the only female and I was actually the, the oldest and I was with all these like really muscular young guys in their early 20s. We, we won't go, we won't talk about that part. But one thing is that I was much, I floated much better than all of them. You know, they're all so muscular that, you know, when the rafts went over, they would all just sink. <laughs> I would just pop up. <laughs> I'm very buoyant. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so, um, you know, actually, after, after flipping the rafts a couple of times, I realized I have really kind of an advantage here. So, um, but no, actually, Getting my guide license, which is a state classification through the Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife, you had to take a, a an oral exam and the company actually had to recommend you for this. So it was quite a rigorous training and certification process. But um, 
I felt that that gave me sort of the credibility that I really needed to do a good job of representing that company. So um, that's what I did uh, when I got the rafting company. And then after that, I had a wind jammer, which was a 170-foot-long historic uh, sailboat, a schooner, three-masted schooner. And, um, of course, I didn't I, – I don't think I could really captain that boat myself, but I had – taught sailing at summer camp when I was a teenager. So I knew about sailing and my mom had actually also taught me to sail on, on the lake where I grew up spending summers. So again, I, I learned how to steer that 170 foot long schooner and I helped, uh, pull the sails up and I, I learned how to do other chores around the boat, including cooking. So again, when I had media people who have to write a story, I could really describe all the different tasks and jobs that are involved with uh, running an operation such as a, a windjammer that sails up and down the coast of Maine. Plus, I felt like I really had a handle on the geography, you know, the various uh, coves and islands and towns uh, up and down the Maine coast. So um, I, I know there are PR people in New York City who who take on clients in various parts of the world, and um, you know they they read the website and then they try to represent. I don't really think you can adequately represent a place unless you really live it, and uh, that's always been my philosophy: is is really diving in and and uh, living it so I can adequately describe it. That's really interesting. So now, if you I mean, obviously, your agency, you're not the only person um, they're doing, uh, working with clients, right? I mean, you've got other uh, yeah. people that you've brought up and, and trained that work with you. Do they take that? I mean, is that is that an agency-wide yeah. perspective? Yeah, that's that's how we all operate. So uh, Greg Glenn, who actually is uh, standing right behind me now, but he's the one that you spoke to. He was working with the Maine Beer and Wine Distributors Association, and that's an association that um, does the wholesaling and delivery of beer and wine to bars and restaurants and convenience stores. So one night, Greg got up at 3 a.m. and went out on a delivery route and actually helped deliver beer and wine to all these uh, stores and outlets. I focused on actually drinking some of the wine right. myself. <laughs> so I could talk about how it tasted. That's right. But no, he, he really got out there um, in the delivery truck. And then another time we were representing a hospital, and two of our employees went and actually assisted while well, they observed in the operating room. So they could describe, you know, all the procedures that were in place for surgery. Um, and then we also work with uh, the state of Maine, as you had mentioned. And so everybody who works here is strongly encouraged to spend all their weekends and free time exploring different parts of Maine. So we have a, a young woman who works here and she's climbed Mount Katahdin, which is the tallest peak in the state. And uh, she's been hunting and fishing all over the state. So we really um, get out there. And oh, also, we represent the Orvis company, which uh, sells hunting and fishing equipment. And several of us are learning to fly fish and tie flies and even shoot a gun like uh, what you would do when you go bird hunting. Wow. That's uh, that's that's impressive. I like that approach. I, I've worked with a lot of people over the years in different industries who don't really have a clue as to what their clients do. And I think um, that that really gives you a great insight. I, I, I think that's probably lost on a lot of people um, in, in different industries who don't who don't bother to get to know their clients and their clients work. Um, well, that is a well. I I really approach. don't like any. I don't like people who are phony, um, and I think it's kind of phony if you're representing something that you don't really know, and uh, so I I just like to really be authentic, um, and authenticity I think is sort of a trait of main people overall. So uh, that's that's kind of the culture that I've tried to build at Marshall Communications. Nice. 
I know when I work with, I, I think I enjoy mostly with print work, working with restaurants because I spent uh, nearly 20 years off and on with a couple of gaps in food service and in, in restaurant management and catering. And uh, I owned a catering company for a while and things like that. And I, I think that's why I, I enjoy that because I have such a deep knowledge of what they go through and what budgets look like in that. So it's a lot easier for me to to work with them. I think if people approached their work and their clients in that way more often, regardless of the industry, I mean, even if it's um, even if it's a, a, a beer and alcohol distributor, understanding their clients better, not just by, you know, what what alcohol should we sell them, but how do the how do their restaurants operate? What kind of, you know, clientele do they have? And then getting in there maybe behind the bar. That kind of stuff is is I think it's a value that's uh, extremely overlooked, especially this day and age where you said you know people, it is easier just to kind of fake it to be in the New York office and read the read the website and go okay now I know what you do let's start marketing it so. Right. Hmm. Well, of course, with digital marketing, uh, if you really know who the target audience is, uh, you know we call it the persona or the avatar of the target audience. Uh, then you can really do a much better job of connecting with them. You know, if you're trying to connect with people on Facebook or uh, Instagram, if you can really drill down and understand the avatar of your target, um, and that's that's really what we do when we do a Marshall Plan, which is our form of a strategic marketing communications plan, is we write the story of five or six different people who would be targeted by our client. And uh, then you can actually talk to them in a language that they'll understand and you can get stories or ads into publications that they would read or radio stations or podcasts, whatever. You, you really understand who you're talking to and how to best connect with them. Well, since you brought up the Marshall Plan, because that was going to be one of my questions too. I was reading... Uh, on your website about the Marshall Plan, and I um, saw the, the video uh, testimonials um, video that you had up there, and kind of going through understanding, trying to understand um, through reading it. Uh, it's a very, it's a very intricate plan. T- talk to us about what what is the Marshall Plan, and this is something you've spent a lot of time developing. Yes, it is, and it came out of uh, working in marketing myself for many, many years when. I was really busy doing a lot of stuff. You know, I was like writing press releases and putting on special events and traveling to trade shows and uh, do, buying ads and doing all these things, but never really feeling like it was helping my client get, uh, you know, achieve anything measurable. So, uh, yeah, starting about 12 or 13 years ago, my agency developed this whole very complex process to work with our clients to create a document that had very clear goals, strategies, tactics, objectives uh, that really looked at the competition. Who are you trying to beat out in the marketplace and uh, what's your budget going to be and then how are you going to measure success? For example, if you're a nonprofit, do you want to get more members in your nonprofit or do you want to double your donations? Or if you're a, an attraction, do you want to sell more tickets? Or what are your um, measurable objectives? And let's be as specific as possible. And then let's measure all of the steps that you need to take to achieve that goal. So, uh, again, if you're a nonprofit, you might want to get more engagement from your your Facebook page, or you might want to get more um, likes on your Instagram posts, or you might want to um, host more events to entertain donors. Or uh, So the Marshall Plan, it, we have a 65-step process we go through over three months with a client, and we create a plan going forward three years to help them basically achieve their goals and set a timeline and a budget and a way to measure success. So this document is is quite voluminous. It can be anywhere from 100 to 200 pages in length. And we hand it over to the client and they can either implement it internally or oftentimes they'll then contract with us to, to help them implement it. But the beauty of it is that 
the client has essentially signed off on this whole strategy from the start and hopefully they've signed off on a budget and again, measurement of success. So then on a monthly basis, you can say, okay, the plan said that this month we were going to host an event and we were going to do a press release and we were going to buy an ad in this TV station and we were going to do all these things. And, and we've actually done those things. And as a result, here are all of the successes that we've had. We've gotten, you know, a hundred more members and we've gotten a hundred thousand more in donations or whatever. It just, it paves the way for success in marketing and it paves the way for a relationship for, for my agency also with the client going forward three years. You know, I, I find for myself and my company that that's one of the hardest things to implement as a plan, you know, being a, a and I don't want to, you know, say that I'm all alone here, but I'm a one man show, right? I mean, my wife helps where she can, but she's not in, she's not in my industry. She, she, you know, filters emails and does things like that. But ultimately I have to choose sometimes between sitting down to plan out the the future of my company and, and my goals and measurements or getting client work done. And sometimes I feel like I don't have enough time during the day. What an awesome idea um, to, to have, to be working with a company that can come in, you know, a team that can come in and look at and help build that. Because when you're, I, I, I am a small business. I'm just, you know, I said a one man show here. Um, it's very difficult to be able to step outside the box and look from the outside in going, okay, here's where my, my measurements are. Here's where my goals are. Here's, you know, I'm looking at the day to day needs of my clients and, and my tasks it's kind of hard to get that big perspective. What a what an awesome thought process uh, to, to, to put that with somebody else and have them help you. Well, we often say that, you know, a lot of times you feel like you're a hamster in a wheel and you're just like running around and around and around and not getting anywhere. So we really try to convey the importance of of hesitating and kind of getting up in a helicopter and floating around, looking down on your business and kind of getting out of the trenches to, to map out a strategy so that you're spending your money, um, you know, more with an eye towards return on investment. Otherwise with marketing, you can spend or waste so much money and not have any idea where it's getting you. And, um, you know, not have any way of measuring success. So that's the whole foundation of the Marshall Plan. That's awesome. You you mentioned you know the, the the way that you can wind up wasting a lot of money on marketing if you're not if you're not on the you know in the helicopter kind of looking at the big picture. And I have a friend who's probably going to listen to this podcast and go, wait a minute, he might be talking about me. And if if you're listening and you know who you are, um, huh. take huh. take this into account here. But his company, I I see ads for their for their business online on Facebook. Uh, every day I see these things popping into my feed. But the issue is, is that if I'm seeing them, right, every time one of I'm viewing one of these, that's another, you know, another check on the list of, all right, we're going to charge them another, you know, another penny or whatever it is for visibility. Um, but I'm not his, I'm not his market. I mean, I, I yeah, right. So I, that goes back to what I was saying. Yeah. You know, and that's the that's what I see, and I keep, you know, we've ta I've talked to him about it, and he's got a, an outside company that does these marketing things for him, and I can only imagine how much money is getting spent on these on these Facebook he's ads. He's wasting, and he gets a lot of likes. How much money he's wasting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That doesn't really matter if those no. likes are coming from people that are never going to buy his products. Exactly, and I and I and I keep looking at that, going, okay, something's got to change here. We've had this conversation a couple times, and. And I'm I'm hoping that uh, maybe in him hearing this one he's going to go okay wait a minute here we gotta and and he does work nationwide so you know it's there's a huge market and if I'm if I'm seeing as many of these things pop up on my Facebook feed as I am I can only imagine that either the market's too local um, when he when he works throughout the country or uh, they're just dishing out a lot of money to a very general group. Um, and it's just, it's just being wasted. So very interesting. Well, if you're listening and you know who you are, <laughs> we're going to have to sit down and talk cause I'm going to, we're going to have to connect with uh, Marshall communications. Yeah. MarshallPR.com. That's right. Marshall plan. <laughs> so 
Nancy, let's talk about your your newest endeavor. Um, I want to talk about this new thing you got going, and then I want to, if we have time, I really want to get into a little conversation about networking and the importance of relationships. But uh, let's talk about the PR Maven podcast, because as somebody who's been podcasting since May, and I'm really enjoying it, and I'm enjoying the connection I'm making with people through sharing their stories and, and what they do, um, my podcast is focused on telling stories. Your podcast is focused on PR and... Um, Let's let's talk about. It. Tell us about your podcast and what drove you to to move into a, into podcasting. Well, it's the, called the PR Maven Podcast, and I uh, attended a content marketing seminar actually at Disney a year ago in January, and learned about how uh, publishing content um, on the on the web is a great way to attract clients and customers because they'll hear your expertise and uh, they'll hear you interview influential people and they'll be drawn to to engage with you. So uh, I think it's a much smarter strategy than just cold calling potential clients and customers or, uh, you know, just trying to do direct sales. So I've decided to take a content marketing uh, approach at Marshall Communications. And, uh, you know, I've listened to a lot of podcasts uh, one that I like to listen to regularly is by Stephen Westner called Onward Nation. And that's about entrepreneurs and, um, you know, challenges that face entrepreneurs every day. There's another one called, um, well, it's called Entrepreneurs on Fire by love, John yep. Lee Dumas. Yeah. And of course, John Lee Dumas is from Maine originally. Oh, I didn't so know I've, that. I've met him in person. Yeah. So he's totally an inspiration to me. So, yeah, I was listening to a lot of podcasts. And of course, as you can tell, I'm never really at a loss for words. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and, um, you know, one of my big themes in my business is that the more people you know and the more people who know you the and the more well-known you are, then the larger your brand is going to be. So that's really, um, you know, what I preach. And I thought, wow, I, if I'm going to be preaching that, I better, again, walk the walk and talk the talk. So the, the unique um, – my stake in the ground for my podcast is that you need to have – uh, relationships with a lot of people that are formed both online and in person. So you might have a lot of fans and followers on your LinkedIn or your Facebook or Instagram, but you should also make uh, every effort to meet those people in person too, because that's kind of where the magic happens when there's two people having a face-to-face -face conversation. There's actually chemicals from your brain that go back and forth uh, oxytocin and serotonin are like these happy chemicals that that only happen for two humans being in the same place and talking to each other. And so uh, that's the what I advocate on my podcast. And of course, I, I interview people about how they have built their own network. And of course, you know, the more well known you are, the more uh, journalists will want to write about you, too and help make you even more well-known. So I believe in uh, building a personal brand as kind of the backbone of a company brand. You've been doing that for, for how long? How many episodes are you at right now? Do you know? Uh, I am at, I think, Greg, am I at 25? How many episodes have I done? I think we've done about 30. Oh, 28 episodes. Yeah. And we just started in September. It's a weekly podcast. And, um, yeah, I'm so lucky. Greg Glynn, who works on my staff, has a broadcast journalism background. And so we partnered up on it. And actually, this Stephen Wessner, who has the podcast called Onward Nation, wrote a book called Profitable Podcasting, where he lays out all the steps um, required to start a podcast. And, you know, since you've been doing it, you know, it's it's a lot more than anyone might ever suspect. Yeah, it is. You know, what was interesting was the the recording and interviews was the easy part. And then next was probably, I think, the editing. The hardest part is the um, is the show notes and the communication to get the messages out there. You know, it's it's the marketing. Right. Yeah. Of it, right? I mean, that's the that's seems to be the, the toughest part for sure. 
Yeah, so I'm lucky because Greg sits and listens to every one of my podcasts and makes the show notes as we go along. And then actually we have another member of our team, Anna McDermott, who actually writes a blog post for each each episode also. Um, so we're really trying to leverage all the wonderful content that we're creating. Oh, nice. My wife does the show notes for this podcast. Um, and we uh, remember we just revamped our website Last night we were finishing up and, and updating the website and, and we completely changed. We realized that our podcast episodes were not visible enough. It was very hard to find them if you weren't going to iTunes, if you weren't already subscribed. And so we thought, well, we have to redo this. So we've been trying to look at what other people are doing and figuring out what, you know, who the, who the successful people are and what they're doing um, and trying to, you know, take hints from what, from what they're doing. But yeah, the show notes, that's... That isn't easy. Um, my wife gets a little frustrated sometimes. She's like, well, I don't know exactly what you want. And I'm like, I don't know either because we're, <laughs> we're new to this. So it's just, we're going to work through this. Yeah, well, that's where you want to have all those search terms that, you know, f- for people who are going to be searching for you or what you offer. Um, so those show notes are like a treasure trove of search en- for search engine optimization. So, so talking about... Uh, um, the podcast, obviously, then it is, you know, like you said, it's to draw people into to understanding your level of expertise in the field. It gets that information out there. And I think oh, it was John Lee Dumas I was listening to. There's been a, quite a few, um, even um, Hal Elrod of The Miracle Morning uh, is, is a book that I, I've really enjoyed and, and his kind of take on on life and, and networking with people and, and showing that expertise to them. It, it, it's not it really is people wanting to know that you that you know what you're talking about, that you have an authority in your industry, um, because there are so many people out there that do just kind of fake it and go, well, you know, I don't know what else I should do. Let me just try my hand at this. And then they do wind up wasting money on advertising that's not benefiting them. Um, so, yeah, getting online and, and, and being a public presence, especially when you've got the experience that you have in the, the background uh, to show uh, the expertise that you have, that is a, that's a great thing. I think we're going to have to, um, I, I would, I'm, we, had, we had checked out uh, a couple of the episodes you have up and I think we're going to have to go through more of them. Uh, cause I can, I mean, I'm, I know I could use the help. It's, it's funny. You think, well, I, I can, I, I own my business now for 10 years, but I feel like that hamster in the wheel you talked about. So. Yeah. Well, another thing is people have to know, like and trust you to want to do business with you. So uh, another reason to do a podcast is so that people can kind of get to know you. For example, you probably could tell I I do like to laugh a lot and I kind of have sort of a signature laugh. So I try on my podcast, I try to laugh a lot and uh, people seem to be drawn to that. And then, but ultimately people have to trust you if they're going to pay you their hard earned money they have to trust that you're going to deliver on your promise. And ultimately, that's what a brand is, is a promise. And you have to be able to deliver it the same way time after time. You know, if you look at a big brand like McDonald's, for example, you know, you can feel like if you walk to a McDonald's in Portland, Maine or Peoria or Pittsburgh or any city across the country, you're going to kind of have the same experience Um, And that essentially is a brand promise. You know, McDonald's promises that you're going to get clean restrooms and you're going to get the same Big Mac no matter where you are. And it's going to probably cost the same amount. And the people are going to be the employees will be dressed the same way. And um, so that's what a brand is. But a personal brand is um, kind of how a person delivers on their promise. So I try to show up the same way for my friends and my business contacts. And again, I try to bring a smile to their face. I try to smile myself and engage with them and kind of care about them as people. And people are much more likely to do business with somebody who who cares about them and isn't just like trying to bilk them of their money. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So when when you talked about um, – the connection that people make when they're in the same room together talking, um, the, the melatonin and, and those reactions that happen, uh, in our, in our, in our brains and our bodies to, to create relationships and bonds. 
when it comes to business networking and in-person relationships, um, there's obviously there, you know, a lot of people now it's, it's that they've become these, um, my friend calls them screenagers. It's basically your, your face is in your screen, you know, it's an iPhone or whatever. Um, and there's a lot of networking groups uh, online, and it seems like a lot of the networking groups that are in-person networking groups have, they haven't died out, but they've definitely faded from uh, a perceived level of importance. The the rotaries, the... Uh, um, Elks. Oh, yeah, those, you know, those groups that maybe they weren't necessarily business networking where we were going to go and, and and exchange leads, but they were where people built relationships, right? That's I mean, that's how business was done, you know, 40 years ago. Um, you built a relationship with people, you got to know them. That seems to have died off. I used to be a member of the Optimist International uh, Club. Um, and, and even those clubs, they just, they've, they've dwindled in numbers. And so now you have these rise of the digital networking groups, which uh, is a lot of people you have no clue who they are from all over the world. And it seems like most of them are just there to every once in a while pop up and say, hey, look at my new product. Um, what do you recommend to people as far as reaching out in their in their communities? Are you seeing groups out there where people are still meeting face to face and building networking or what are you seeing? Yeah. And I think uh, I mean, chambers of commerce are still very common in communities all across the country. And a lot of chambers have young professionals groups also. I know here in Augusta, Maine, there's a, a synergy group, it's called, of the chamber. So I think, um, and then there's a lot of BNI groups, Business Networking International, all across the country. So I think that the young people who realize that that kind of face-to-face relationship building is important. Those are the people who are going to be successful in the long term because, you know, you can have all the quote-unquote friends in the world online, but if you can't function uh, face-to-face, then, uh, you know, you're really going to have a hard time in business. I think that, uh, again, uh, it's really important, even, you know, big online business owners try to put themselves out there so that people will trust them and trust their business. Uh, so uh, whether you have a small one person operation or you, you own Amazon, it's still just as important that you have a network of, of people that who know you both online and in person. I, I give an example of um, several years ago, we lost our contract with the state of Maine tourism office uh, in an RFP situation, we lost the bid and it was it was very traumatic. And uh, we thought we might have to lay off a lot of people in my agency. Um, but sure enough, kind of my network or our network came to our rescue and we ended up getting another client that was just as big as the main office of tourism. And that was just because people wanted us to thrive and survive. And uh, so uh, one of my contacts said, you know, Nancy, your network will come to your rescue, uh, you know, in good times and in bad times. So uh, we were able to salvage all our employees and we had that other client for about 18 months. And then sure enough, we got the state of Maine tourism contract back again. Uh, so it is true that, you know, it, it it's good to have a network of people behind you, uh, you know, to celebrate with you when you're when things are going well, and to come to your rescue when things are not going so well. So, do you think that there's a because there's the couple of like networking styles that I see are like the BNI groups, which are um, very leads heavy, right? It's it's there's a lot of like tit for tat lead generation in in some of these groups, and then you have ones that are like, are you familiar with Center Sphere out of Nebraska? No, I'm not. So they're starting to grow. They've got a couple branches here in Arizona, um, and they're based out of Omaha. But they're a, um, it's called the Center Sphere Network, and and it's it's, it was about I don't know I think it was about half the price annually of, of uh, like BNI's or any of those groups, and um, of course if you brought in new members, I think if you brought in three new members in the year, your next year was free. Um, which was an which was a pretty good incentive as far as you know being part of a group goes. Um, 
But then the other thing was, uh, it wasn't, they had a, an online dashboard and I, I say, I, they, I keep referring to them as had only because I'm not involved with them anymore because of our travels. It's very hard to stay in a localized networking group. Um, but, uh, they had an online dashboard where you could see where your lead generations that went, but the meetings and the the gatherings weren't focused on lead generation. It was focused on building relationships because you tend to refer business to people you trust, right? So right. it was a lot of more more of trust building, and it wasn't it wasn't a group of um um like it wasn't a proprietary group where this is the group you're in, this is the only one you can be in, these are the people you have to refer. It was, hey, build up a relationship with these people and as you feel comfortable. Um, and, and actually, I in the short period of time I was with them for about a year before we started traveling, I actually generated quite a few leads um, and we gave some too. Um, but it, it felt like a different kind of group. And then the third type that I've seen is these, uh, I see these pop up, especially here in Phoenix when I'm around town, is these uh, happy hour um, networking mixers. And I mean, is there is there one that you that you see that maybe is more beneficial for people to start out with? Um, you say kind of a jump into any of them, or is there is there kind of a plan of action people should take as approaching these? I think they should start out with whatever group they feel most comfortable in, especially if you're a little bit on the introverted side. So um, you know, if you are a computer coder, you might want to start with a networking group where you're going, you know, out mostly to meet other computer coders or uh, whatever. Um, I know I belong to a national network of advertising and PR agency owners, and I've been meeting with that group for almost 20 years, every six months uh, in a different place around the country. So you might want to start out with people who are kind of cut from the same cloth as you are. Uh, cause that you might be more comfortable there, but then, um, you know, then there are chambers of commerce where you've got a lot of different kinds of local businesses. Uh, so whatever group you decide to engage in, I would go into it with the intention of, of listening to other people's stories. I think especially introverts get really nervous because they think somehow they're going to be the center of attention and they're going to have to you know, come up with interesting things to say. But something that my mom taught me when I was when I was pretty young, that is like one of the best things anybody taught me is that people will really like you if you just listen to them. It doesn't even really matter a lot of times what you even say. If you, you just ask questions and really pay attention and actively listen, they're really going to like you a lot. <laughs> so I tell introverts, it doesn't really matter matter what you say just uh, be prepared to listen and nod and smile and and try to remember and uh you know engage like just like what you're doing right now hal hmm. <laughs> listening to me well and that's but again because i want to learn too i mean that's one of the interesting things for me in this in this whole podcast uh this one and all the ones we do is that i get not only do i get to get people's stories out there and and share with other people but it, i learn i learn so much from doing this, that it's, this is just as much for me as I, you know, I want it to be just as much. It is just as much for me as I want it to be for other people. Um, because like I said, I'm not a, I'm in print marketing and graphic design. I I can get right into it and, and work, um, hand in hand with the best. But, uh, when it comes to a lot of this, this is all a lot of learning for me today. So this is, that's why I want to listen. <laughs> that's why, I, yeah. you know, so, and that's why we do this. This It really is. So when, um, when you're meeting with a client and, and, or a potential client, right, you've got people coming and going, okay, we're, whether it's a startup or a business that's been around for 10 or 20 years, um, when you're assessing, because I think a lot of us realize that at some point we're doing something wrong, but when, when anyone in your firm is assessing, um, the, the current strategies of a business that's coming to them. What do you see most often? What, what, what's the biggest mistake or the most common mistake you see with uh, business owners or entrepreneurs or, or, or companies and their, their marketing dollars? I think they forget to start with the end in mind. I mean, the most important thing is to say, we're, what are we trying to accomplish here? Where, where do we want to go with our business? And then what's the most cost-effective way to get there? 
Um, I think so many businesses just keep doing the same thing that they've always done, thinking that it's helping them accomplish their goals. So, for example, if you've always had the same ad in the same magazine or, or radio commercial or whatever, you know, they might assume that that's what they just need to keep doing. But I think, again, one of the things we do in the Marshall Plan process is start with the end in mind. What what are our three overarching goals and then what is the best way to get there? And, you know, buying advertising isn't always the best way to achieve a goal. There might be, um, you know, you, you might be better served by having a big special event or putting out a monthly newsletter, uh, an electronic newsletter, or, or doing social media and trying to build your your tribe that way. Whatever you're doing, you need to try to build a tribe or a cult or or a network of fans and people who are going to be brand ambassadors for you. So um, whatever your business is, if you focus on just getting more and more people who will kind of advocate for you in the marketplace and again, so many um, online ratings and reviews will really help you no matter what your business is because in today's uh, day and age, people go first to the internet, you know, go online and, and Google your business. And if you've got a lot of really good ratings and reviews, you're a lot more likely to get new customers that way. So the, the last thing I want to talk about really goes right into this, which is that online presence. If, if you've got advertising dollars going somewhere, there are, you know, there are some good places to put that money, but even on a non-spending level, Things like, depending on what industry you're in, things like TripAdvisor, Yelp, um, Facebook, you know, your 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 own page, uh, business page, or um, uh, not, most I, most companies don't do groups, but but some kind of a business page on on Facebook and that. How important is it? Um, or I don't know, maybe how important is not the right question, but as far as the that presence, having that presence online, what's the, what's the level that you would say? I think I might, I think I might know where you're going, Hal. And I think um, the answer is that you start with your own website because that's something that you own. You own that website. You don't own Facebook or you don't own Instagram or any content you put on those sites that that's owned by the the people that own Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn. So, so look at your own website kind of as the anchor for all of your marketing and make sure you have the best possible, most updated website, most visually attractive website. Uh, you want to have photos, you want to have video on there um, and make sure that the branding is really strong on your own website. And then look at all the other uh, social media sites or rating and review sites like Yelp or TripAdvisor kind of as uh, tentacles off of your site. All of those things are going to ultimately drive traffic back to your site. And that's where you should really be trying to capture people's email addresses because um, to have an email newsletter is really valuable. Uh, I know people get a lot of email every day. But if you put out an e-newsletter that's really full of valuable information, uh, again, for your targeted audience, uh, they're going to pay attention to that email. We put out a monthly e-newsletter from Marshall Communications called the Marshall Report. And we try to really give away a lot of very actionable marketing and PR advice. So, um, you know, I would, again, start with your own site and then what are all the other sites that you can uh, put content on that are going to drive traffic. And, of course, big sites like LinkedIn are really important. And your summary section on LinkedIn is where you should have a lot of um, your keywords. Again, for me, public relations and personal branding uh, strip marketing strategies. Those are all the keywords that I want to be found for. So whatever you're doing, you need to think of the keywords that you want to be found for, and then make sure that you're findable. 
Um, you know, I think of Google. Google's like um, Santa Claus. Google knows when you've been naughty or nice. <laughs> like <laughs> if you're really nice to Google and, and, uh, and what Google considers to be nice is like you have a lot of relevant, updated, well-presented and attractive content online then Google's going to send a lot of people your way. Google will not send people to websites that have outdated information or that are not easy to navigate or not easy on the eyes. They want a website that looks looks really nice too. So um, really it's it's you want to play to Google whenever you're playing online. That makes it so your so your website should be your uh, if you want to put an analogy to it your website should be your boat. And yeah. all the, the Facebook, the Twitter, Instagram should be like fishing lines cast out yes, and bringing exactly. everything yeah, back to the boat. Right. Yeah. And you want to reel in the customers yeah. <laughs> yeah. with all those different fishing lines. You know, and we see that now in, in marketing. We see uh, restaurants that build up huge, you know, huge followings on Facebook. And then, you know, they, they put a picture with themselves with the attorney general of the United States. And then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, they're having to shut down their social media because they get blasted and they've lost their reach. You know, right. You exactly. Know. Yeah. So that's, that's very interesting. Okay. Well, good. Well, gosh, you know, Nancy, this has been, uh, it's been great talking with you. And I think that there's a lot of good insights here. I think too, at some point, um, I think we should do this again. I'd like to, I'd like to at some point in the future, uh, really maybe look at some case studies um, if you'd be interested at some point, because I, I think there's a lot out there where a lot of people are going, OK, I just don't know where to go. They, they feel kind of that stuck like I am sometimes in that the, the you know, the, the description you gave of the, the hamster in the wheel. And sometimes it, it and that's why I think podcasting was great for me when I was listening to a lot more podcasts. Is it, it was really that motivator to get out and go, OK, wait a minute, I'm not seeing this. How am I not seeing this? And then kind of turn, you know introspectively and go, okay, I gotta, I gotta look inside on this one. Um, but I, I would love to do this again. I think there's some, a wealth of information here and I think it's great for, you know, for business owners of all sizes, be it the one man show or the, the, the big, you know, I mean, even the main department of tourism, it's, it's something that everybody needs. Um, and of course, if you want to hear more, you can always go to the PR Maven podcast. Um, and and your your website for that is prmaven.com? Yes, prmaven.com slash podcast. But we've actually created a page just for your podcast, Hal, so people can go to https colon slash slash prmaven.com slash 18 summers slash and we'll make sure that your wife has that for the show notes, too. But if they go there, then they can actually uh, sign up to receive uh, a copy of my new ebook on uh, writing a PR plan that works for your small business. And also they can sign up to receive our e-newsletter. So, yeah, you can actually um, you can actually get a copy of my book, PR Works, and get the ebook, which is about 10 simple steps to creating a marketing plan and one of our PR Maven things to do today pads. So there's a treasure trove waiting for people that nice. go to that uh, prmaven.com slash 18 summers. Fantastic. All right. So uh, and we'll put a link. Um, if, if you didn't catch that, there will be links in the show notes here, but it's prmaven.com forward slash 18 summers, which I'm actually yeah. on that website now. Uh, that is wonderful. And then, of course, you can always go to our website if you need to know more about 18 summers and what we do uh, at goneen18.com. It's G O N E I N 18.com. And, uh, you know, Nancy, I'm so grateful that you took the time to, to spend with us here on the on the 18 Summers Live Your Passion podcast. And I look forward to uh, to connecting more in the future. I know we'll be up in the area this summer as we as we venture out of Arizona when it starts to warm up up north. And uh, we'll be making our way across the country again. And I, I uh, Great. would love to 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 meet up and, and see the uh, see your place up there the and meet your team and. Um, I, we're really looking forward to, to visiting Maine. We've heard great things about about the area. We really wanted to be there this year, and it just didn't work out for us. But 
we're looking forward to that area for sure. Yeah, well, we we would love to host you and uh, see you either in Portland or Augusta or or along the coast of Maine. Um, VisitMaine.com is a website that has a lot of information about visiting Maine, so you'll want to check that out before you come. Wonderful. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for being here. And folks, again, if you have any questions, you can always go to our, our website, goneon18.com, newly, re, uh, newly revamped. Or you can go for this particular show, prmaven.com forward slash 18 summers. And uh, there's some great resources there for you that Nancy Marshall and the PR Maven team have put together. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the 18 Summers Live Your Passion podcast. Thank you for joining us for the 18 Summers Live Your Passion podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if you have, we definitely encourage you to come back for another one. Share with your friends our podcast. Help them to live their passion. And most importantly, stay in contact with us. Reach out to us. Use our website, www.goneen18.com. That's G-O-N-E-I-N-1-8.com. There's a contact form on there. You can send us questions that you might have or comments about the show. And you know what? You can also find all of our social media links there. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, they're all there for you to find. We hope you enjoy it. Check out the blog too while you're there. Why not? Hey, we'll see you next time.